0: Hey, welcome to the Africa podcast. Today's episode is going to feature a conversation between me, Mikey Mehenna, and our special guest, Antonia Carver. Antonia is the director of Art Jamil. The conversation was originally recorded on June 30th, 2020. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you all joined for another um, Africa conversation. Tonight, I'm joined by Antonia Carver, the director of Art Jamil. Thank you so much for joining. Antonia is the director of Art Jamil, which supports artists and creative communities across the Middle East. Art Jamil is a complementary, independent organization that fosters and promotes contemporary art and cultural heritage protection and creative entrepreneurship across the Middle East, North Africa, Turkey, and beyond. Antonia holds a Master of Arts from the University of Edinburgh in Social Anthropology. Before she began uh, uh, her career in publishing and arts journalism, She worked as an editor at uh, Bidun, one of my favorite magazines in the region. Um, Prior to joining Arjamil, Antonia was the director of Art Dubai. She has been involved with countless organizations uh, across the uh, Arab world, and I'm unbelievably excited to have her join our program. Antonia, thanks so much for joining.
1: Yeah, really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's it's really a wonder, uh, it's a privilege to have you on the show because I feel like you are a type of person who has done a lot of different things. So I think what's interesting about your career is that you didn't start uh, studying art history. You weren't studying the arts in university. How did you find yourself in the arts in the Middle East? Walk us through that story to just get us started.
1: Oh, thank you. And thanks to everybody for joining and we're really looking forward to the to the QA. Um yeah, I I mean I kind of um ended up in the Middle East a little bit by accident. I've been um, in uh, living uh, partly in Australia and then partly in London and um, I was working with film festivals and I started in London connected uh, with the Arab and Iranian community in London which you know is obviously um, uh, you know London's a bit of a kind of Arab city I think. Boris Johnson when he was mayor, not that we should really quote Boris Johnson, but anyway, he came up with this kind of quote that London is the eighth emirate. And um, I kind of, you know, even in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, that's becoming very uh, obvious. Um, I was working in the late 90s for an organisation in London called Innova, the Institute of International Visual Arts, and it was an organisation that was really kind of something of a think tank. We kind of intervened in different museums and organisations and really trying to kind of campaign for a sense of internationalism in the arts and a recognition that cities like London, Manchester, um, Birmingham, uh, Liverpool were becoming uh, cities where to talk about uh, kind of ethnic minorities was something of a misnomer and there were already British cities at that time that were majority majority minority ethnic. So it's kind of a recognition of that and trying to sort of reflect that in the arts and use the arts as a prism to kind of understand the changing demographics of, of society. So, through that, I started working with a number of um, Arab and Iranian um, artists and filmmakers. And, you know, in uh, kind of London was becoming very expensive and a little bit kind of constricted. And um, we thought, why not move somewhere? Um, My husband's also an an Arabic speaker and and a journalist, and he also wanted to move somewhere in the region. He went ahead of me, landed in Dubai, because that's at the point where Media City was starting up, and most of the big media enterprises were moving to Dubai at that time. And I always remember him calling me, I was finishing a book in London, he called me and said, ah, I wanted to come to the Arab world and I don't think I really have, you know. And so, cause he'd lived a long time in places like Egypt and Palestine. But then very quickly we got into being um, in Dubai and very typically for people who are moving in those early 2000s, um, you know, we moved there in 2001, thought we'll stay for a couple of years and then moved on to somewhere else, Beirut or or Tehran or somewhere. And then, um, you know, very quickly, we kind of put down roots and, you know, 20 years later, still here uh, for um, really, you know, loving being here. Um, When I arrived, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I was still working in publishing and in journalism and writing for the art newspaper about the arts and Screen International about the film world. And I was, for both of those, just by pure chance, you know, happened to be their first um, Arab world correspondent at that time. Obviously, things have changed so radically since then in terms of an awake- international awakening as to what's happening here. Yeah. Um, Dune uh, happened very quickly after that. In 2003, we set up Dune along with Lisa Farjam, Negar Azimi, and, um, uh, Lisa and um, uh, Sunny Rahba, who now runs the Third Line Gallery in London. Uh, in, sorry, in Dubai, was part of that. And at that time, it was kind of... I guess a recognition that the word Bedouin always has a certain sort of negativity around it. But what about you know, the, the international um, Arab and Iranian community? What about Middle Easterners that are living in, in one place, having been born in another, grown up in another, have family from somewhere else? Isn't there also a kind of positivity in that? So we were kind of trying to sort of reinvent that. And um, I worked in Dubai and my colleagues were in New York and, and Cairo and, and all over. And, um, and then in 2004, the Dubai Film Festival started. And because yeah. I've been really involved in film festivals before, I kind of jumped. I uh, was lucky enough to jump in on in that as part of the uh, kind of founding group of people that were very much part of that. And again, working on the Arab film side of things. Um, and then just to sort of fast forward to, you know, 2010, I mean you know and the beginning <laughs> sorry i'm on a a
0: roll <laughs> on no no no, I I, no, no. <laughs> I I I want to i don't want the cliff notes version as much as i'm very curious about the let's stop at the for a second it takes work to create cultural capitals right things yeah. don't happen by accident and over the last course of 20 in the last sort of 20 years um small institutions small legs start being put up and then all, all of a sudden enough legs Exists and you can put a platform on top of that thing, and then all of a sudden you have a really high platform that's producing a lot of stuff. Let's talk about the Duna as a publication, sort of what drew you to that project, and um, the role of sort of print publications in establishing cultures of art and creativity in places like Dubai. Yeah,
1: no, thank you. I mean, this is actually. A topic that I'm really fascinated by is you know, how these kind of cultural communities come about and how they can really change the fabric of, of, a, of a city or a society. So, you know, kind of the, that period of the early 2000s in Dubai, I mean, you know, we have to remember that at this time, you know, globally, let alone in, in the Arab world, people weren't really kind of thinking of Dubai as, as a cultural destination. I mean, we should be mm-hmm. honest. You know, obviously, the great. Um, historical cities of the Arab world, if you think of sort of Cairo and uh, Beirut and, you know, cities like that, and were obviously the places of, of, and Baghdad's obviously, you know, great places of of deep-seated history and and cultural significance. And for a a Gulf state to kind of pop up and claim, hey, we're here, you know, nobody was thinking in those terms at that time. But what I think was special about that moment is that, and maybe in contrast with some other uh, gulf cities or now asian cities is that it was very much a kind of ground up movement at that time you had a kind of collective of people who'd uh, were maybe you know first second third generation and also uae nationals who would maybe studied elsewhere you know perhaps the last generation to really study on mass outside of the of the uae because the uae universities were coming up in the late 90s and early 2000s yeah, so this correct. generation that sort of lived other cities come back and i think what was interesting about that generation is that They kind of really felt a sense of kind of, you know, Dubai-ness, that they came from this city regardless of of where they came from originally or their parents did. And um, so it was about trying to sort of express that and find something common within that that could be kind of, I mean, I hate this word, but something sort of like authentic to the nature of being a, you know, Dubaian or an Emiratian in in some kind of way. And um,
0: I think that's,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah. sorry, go on. No, keep on going, keep on going, sorry. Yeah, and I was just going to say, Bedouin was part of that, and many other kind of cultural uh, entities com- came out of that that moment of expression. And then afterwards, it was more of a kind of top-down uh, movement from the government, and the two began to kind of work together.
0: Yeah, do you think if Bedouin was starting today, right, in 2020 as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago, does it have a similar uh, mission? Does it have a similar scope? Does it have a similar... Um, e- is that
1: what you think yeah i just i couldn't quite get the last bit of the but i i know where you're coming from That is actually such a brilliant uh, kind of question i mean i guess at that time there was a kind of um playfulness and a bit of an irreverence you know to badoon's tone and sort of very playful with this idea of what does it actually mean to be from the middle east and in a way that kind of the fact that there was so much international ignorance about the arab, arab world in the middle east gave a kind of wriggle room to really be kind of playing on uh, these kind of ideas of about what it was like to be from the Middle East. I mean, obviously, I was a total kind of newcomer, you know. But yeah. my my colleagues were um, were from various different uh, places in in the Arab world and in in Iran and, and Turkey, and so it was a very, I think it was a very particular moment. If it had begun now. I don't know. I mean, Bedouin obviously still exists. It's online, and they're producing more content and things like that. But I think just this the level of now of international awareness gives a certain kind of different kind of tune. And maybe despite everything going on during that time, and when we started in two thousand and three, you know, it wasn't exactly a happy moment in the region. But at that time, there was still a sense of sort of being able to turn things around. And and I mean, thinking about uh, the situation now, there's you know of great hope and you, you see an enormous amount of kind of uh, faith in, in new talent and, and the next generation coming up but there's also a knowingness that exists in the international community and also a sense I, I guess if we think about what's happening in Palestine at the moment you know a sense of certain kind of you know going around in circles sorry
0: to bring that no yeah that makes out. sense um, I'm curious about if we shift now to the sort of the next phase of your career into thinking about Art Dubai, and Art Dubai is this, at this point, this very large institution. Um, what was experience like working on that and helping sort of build out that institution, um, compared to working on Bidun and compared to sort of smaller, maybe in fest- film festivals and compared to what you're doing now.
1: No, thank you. I mean, the fair was already, um, you know, four or five years old, so it was already kind of uh, had gone through its kind of extremely bold and uh, startup phase. If you think, you know, Art Dubai was uh, the first major international art fair um, outside of Europe and America. I mean, now again, that's kind of unthinkable. But we have to sort of rewind the clock and remember that the art world was seen as sort of London, Paris, New York, and everyone else was kind of um, out of the picture slightly. So things have obviously shifted massively since that time. I mean, obviously, uh, personally, you know, I went through a great quandary. I was, I've always been a writer, and on the not-for-profit side of things, what am I doing going to a commercial art fair? But I mean, I've always been really interested in this idea of the arts being a kind of Trojan horse. You know, through the arts, you can discuss pretty much everything in life, and there's a way of it gives a kind of certain prism or a certain door to discuss things that particularly maybe in the Gulf, are not so readily, we're not so readily able to discuss or perhaps not discuss so much in the media and things like that. So, And it felt like a very kind of necessary conversation to have. And I think what was exciting is that the owners of the fair were very open to really the fair being a kind of big uh, kind of container of, of all the different kinds of art forms and different kinds of ways that you can express through the art. So yes, it was a commercial art fair and it had a very, very important kind of position to, to have in terms of, Uh, you know, enabling artists to sell work and and live and galleries to spring up and, you know, through that time, Dubai became the commercial centre for what became known as the Middle Eastern art world, which at that time, you know, previous to this, there hadn't really been an idea of uh, a unified kind of Middle Eastern art category, you know, it would have been strange to be uh, sitting in, in Beirut with its history of galleries and somehow feel that you have something comparable with uh, cities in morocco or cities in the gulf yeah. but this kind of the commercial side of things kind of gave a certain kind of unity and the fair became uh you know very much a meeting point it was the only time in the year where you could really meet everybody from across the, the region and the international community began to come in to to really kind of see this as their one stop in the year where they could really get to know what was happening in the middle east so i think what fairs do so well is bring together a great and and biennials too but bring together a great great community together which can uh, you know you can then put on discussion programs we had the global art forum and a huge amount of of fun and incredible conversations with that um you know art to buy projects and and many of the kind of infrastructural things that you'd usually see around a city uh taken care of by other institutions became kind of part of the fair so it was a total blast for
0: Was, was the sense of like regionalism um one of the core pillars of the planning as in like we want to sort of create Help be the connective tissue that uh, that that sort of fills in the gaps between these local art scenes that we think might have more in common with each other than they might they might realize. Was yeah. that part of the thinking?
1: Yeah, very much so. And that kind of idea of what is the region, you know, yeah. also what began to good. expand into sort of thinking a lot about South Asia. So you know, obviously, if you, if you live in the Gulf, you kind of have two points of. Uh, you know, great connection, one with the Arab world and one with South Asia, which is, uh, you know, through culture and history and the, and the people who live here is incredibly tight. So I think it very much. And then towards um, the end of the time I was there, and this is something that FAIR has also pushed forward, was also a kind of desire to think about sort of the global south and, and uh, the Gulf's connections with Africa, you know, which is also another really kind of fascinating kind of topic, which um, you know has not really been tremendously explored and obviously yeah. there's uh, through history great connections particularly with east africa and, and the gulf and the you know, trading routes and, and things like that and then you know in a contemporary sense um you know just i mean it sounds kind of banal but you know the number of african cities that emirates flies to creates you know dubai as a kind of connector between various different cities in africa and themselves, as well as kind of connecting to other parts of of the world. I mean, it sounds very kind of glib, but there are Mm -hmm. through those kind of transport connections and communication connections are all sorts of cultural connections can be had as well. So it felt like a huge opportunity to really reimagine Dubai as a kind of center within that prism of the world and in doing so kind of shake up the more traditional art world's idea of itself.
0: Your time with uh, shifting to sort of Arjamed as an organization, and really in many ways, sort of representing that that effort, right? That effort of building building cultures, uh, building cultures of creativity across the region, and really thinking about both it from a sort of a creative, social, social, uh, societal perspective, but also from an entrepreneurial and commerce perspective, right? Really building out the entire ecosystem. how has that gone? I mean, it's just, like, a, a silly question, but, like, give me a status update. How's it going? <laughs> How's that going?
1: Yeah, well, when I hear you describe it, it sounds insanely ambitious. like, wow, what, what are we taking on here? But I think it's, um, you know, kind of a desire. I mean, again, you know, it's part of the same kind of thread, this kind of idea that through the arts, you can tackle um, education. You know, you can think about kind of how did artisans and artists and creative practitioners build their own communities and their own kind of you know sustainability maybe independent from government and, and build up kind of uh, you know their own kind of scene there's a certain kind of urgency um, in terms I mean exactly what you're doing you know kind of thinking about the urgency of debate in, in this world you know there's yep. so much uh, and I guess it goes back to the Badoon days too of thinking, why is everybody else talking about this region rather than, you know, this region being able to project itself in a way that's listened to, you know, what's missing there. And, you know, and in part that can be done kind of through the arts because I, I mean, I'm kind of like a really firm believer that artists in particular can really draw out all the complexities of the questions that we have, you know, it's not necessarily yeah. about giving answers. It's about kind of showing artworks that prompt debate. And I mean, just one example for, a, we opened the Jameel Art Center in Dubai, in november 2018 and the exhibition at that time uh called crude which is uh curated by much was a look at oil and the archives of oil and the economy of oil through the eyes of, of artists so it was really opening up all these kind of you know many many cans of worms in in one exhibition but kind of really and the debate that went on i mean we you know around the opening we had a lot of families come in and who were just curious you know what's going on in this building and and, and through that exhibition, they were able to talk about their own family history, you know, contemporary realities, the economy, society, belonging. So it's just about trying to create these, uh, you know, openings for people to come together and really debate the thorny issues out there. I mean, I was interested, you know, your kind of thing about uh, curiosity and community. I feel is incredibly kind of fitting because at the beginning of Jamil Art Centre, and it's the same with High Creative Hub, the uh, complex that we're building in Jabda, we really tried to think about this audience demographic of the curious. So, you know, you have the kind of arts, uh, you know, usual suspects, the inner community that are going to come to things anyway. But thinking about the curious and just thinking of a Gulf context where you have um, incredibly literate, um, politically engaged uh, people of all ages. I mean, how are the arts kind of providing for them? And we've tried to really make that that's the curious and use. It's sort of 18 to 25 year olds we've tried to make absolute pillars of everything we do just thinking that these communities are kind of underserved in a way yeah. so why not have you know reading groups that bring in people who have nothing to do with the arts but they use an exhibition as a springboard to talk about um you know issues in society today and i think that is a way of trying to stay vital
0: it's so interesting because i feel like uh, it, it seems like the the work of Arjamil has like four audiences um, they have the audiences who are in any in any one of the locations that you're talking about. They're the citizens, right? The nationals of that place who are going to be building local culture in, in some way, right? In some way, taking ownership of that. Then there's also the the other like foreign Arabs across the region or across South Asia who are who are looking. And then there's the global community who's looking. But then there's also the um, like. The foreign laborers who are in in the in all these different locales across the Arab world, who are also building culture, right? They are also shaping the the local culture, the local artists. How how can you, how can you sort of tailor your program to those four audiences?
1: Oh, Jameel, team thinks about this a lot, you know, and this kind of idea that, I guess, one, you know, thing we think about is just that the arts themselves kind of form those audiences and they also hopefully through the programs we do people are actually thinking about what is society and what is community I mean maybe this is I mean I know we have a very international or regional audience today but just maybe this is more of an urgent conversation in places that are very young so thinking about the UAE you know a very young country not really yet sort of uh, thinking about itself as a kind of um, you know multi-ethnic community but more kind of you know uh, kind of different nationalities working together in in parallel. So, I mean, we're really invested in kind of thinking, what is this, how do you form, how how do people feel like stakeholders in a place? What gives people the feeling of being a stakeholder? And I think, you know, culture and and community comes very much uh, hand in hand into the forward um, in those kind of situations. Um, I mean, it's been very interesting, obviously the last few months, I mean, everybody's, uh, you know, art institutions globally have turned to their digital audiences. And I think it was, we already had quite a lot planned in that, in that field, but we were kind of forced to fast track them. And also a very sharp reminder that, you know, we talk a lot about, oh, you know, people having to work from home and, and connect on Zoom like we are today, but also a kind of sharp reminder that, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, vast um, numbers of our our audiences aren't able to travel at all. They're You know, yeah. they're, it's a complete luxury to travel. So this has kind of been a really good reminder of how to connect with those audiences and how can you create an experience that's, you know really sharp for somebody in the room you know with, you know physically interacting with artworks just as they're supposed to be plus that kind of online experience and have you open up avenues for those audiences too so yeah. it's been but the only way is to work through that with artists I think.
0: yeah can you talk a little bit about the plans uh, that you're most excited for specifically in jeddah and you know you guys are building this new brick and mortar place you have collaborations and engagements all over the region and the world, um, but um, I, I'm really fascinated about the sort of the work in Jeddah and I'm, I'm curious why you picked Jeddah in general and
2: um, um,
0: If you can walk us through what you're excited about that, what your plans are, what does 21, 22, 23 look like there
1: yeah no well I mean hugely exciting so we i mean the Jamil family for uh, originally come from jeddah that's their their hometown um, and have for a long time wanted to build an art center there i mean our Jameel has existed since t- two thousand and three, but always as a kind of you know flexible kind of agency model working with lots of different partners um, mm-hmm. from everywhere and uh, you know it became kind of apparent that we could do so much more if we were able to have our own centers. So the original idea was to build first in Jebda and then look for an international base. The building in, uh, in the center, in Jamil Arts Center in Dubai just came along very quickly and uh, was built in a relatively, relatively fast. I mean, thanks to the great kind of um, welcome that was extended by the UAE to Uh, you know, an independent organization like Archimil setting up there. And then meanwhile, Jeddah has been a little bit slower, but actually, you know, all for the better because we were then able to hit this wave that's happened in the last three years in in Saudi with this, um, where culture has become ever more kind of central to the idea of uh, the identity of Saudi and everything happening there. So that's actually been, you know, a huge boon. I mean, just thinking back to the original plans that we had for Hai, you know, it was to have a theater there and we were able to, you know, make that sudden switch and say, right, let's make an art house cinema rather than a theatre. So we're able to kind of, you know, take that on and and do that. Um, I mean, aside from Jeddah being the the Jamil family's um hometown um you know jeddah is uh, traditionally i guess uh, you know very much known as a kind of cultural city within uh, saudi i mean similar to dubai it's in a way and and this has very much influenced our thinking it's a port city it's obviously the gateway for pilgrims uh, going to saudi as well so yeah. it has that kind of cosmopolitan and kind of openness to it and this curiosity that we we keep referring to and um but we're very keen to sort of think about each city and each city's needs i mean dubai really was crying out for a contemporary art museum. It had the galleries, it had everything else going on, you know, mm-hmm. incredible biennial and other institutions in, in Sharjah, the Louvre coming in as a you know encyclopedic museum in, in Abu Dhabi, but no kind of Kunsthalle type, you know, flexible kind of contemporary arts model. So we filled that gap. And then in Jeddah, you know, there's a you know tremendous cultural community there and a, a very much a kind of granular DIY spirit to everything. People are very used to getting up and doing things on themselves. But people tend to be working from different spaces yeah. a lot of people you know producing uh, exciting kind of programs in in fashion and design and architecture but kind of from their bedrooms or their parents garage or you know so we kind yeah. of thought with hey yeah. let's make this a multidisciplinary kind of hub where we can bring all those practitioners together and the audiences that support them so it's a very open kind of endeavor uh archie meal is running and uh, the cinema um and the art center and artist studios, but you know, the rest of the complex is given over to like-minded partners, so you yeah. know, co-working space and uh, architect studios, fantastic design galleries and, and art galleries, so we're so, yeah, super excited about it.
0: So I'm, before you switch to the, the sort of Q&A, I have two questions. Okay. Um, one question is, do you get a sense that a 14-year-old kid growing up in Dubai now, who's 14 now, versus a 14-year-old in 2004 um, feels like they live in a city that promotes the arts? Mm. feel like there are huge strides there? Do they say, I live in, the center, I, I live in an art center?
1: <laughs> I hope so. I hope so.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, um, you know, what's happened has been pretty remarkable. There are a yeah. few other kind of international examples where cities have changed quite so radically when it comes to the arts. But I mean, it's not to sort of pat ourselves on the back too much. I mean, at, at the same time, you know, there's a gap in schools. You know, art is not taught in, in schools um, to the extent that we'd love it to be. And when it is taught in schools, and this this is actually, I guess, kind of pretty much uniform across the region, it tends, you know, there's a real dearth of publications in Arabic. You know, kids yeah. are learning at school about Picasso and Monet and Manet, which is not a bad thing. But are they really also, know, you know, learning about, I don't know you know wali drad or um yeah. Hassan Chirisa, you know the kind of heroes of, of different countries and whose art they can see locally so there's a mismatch there between the names that are known and the art that people see and we, i mean it'd be incredible to kind of be able to turn that around um there are still um i mean in the region there are there are some fantastic universities teaching art and there are a few small art schools but there's no uh you know really kind of well-established uh, art school Um, Still, you know, I think a lot of parents, you know, globally, but would far rather their kids became architects and artists or maybe that's even wishful thinking, probably doctors and lawyers and the usual. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got a lot of work to do in kind of raising awareness, but hopefully we're getting there.
0: Okay, that's uh, question number one. Question number two is related, which is in 20 years, what does success look like, right? Um, you guys are doing so much stuff, right? You're working with, you're trying to build entrepreneurship. Uh, um, you're trying to build an ecosystem that that uh, supports creative entrepreneurs. You're trying to help artists. You're trying to build a, a culture of uh, that promotes the sort of creative economy and promotes art. What does success look like? Like fast forward 20 years from now.
1: Whoa, right, oh my gosh. I haven't thought too much about this at the moment 2020 is the year of survival can i get through tomorrow and do I
0: have <laughs> <laughs> seriously you're like 20 hours give me 20 hours <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly do i have a budget to last till next week but i know but um no but i mean it's a really good question i mean i think one sort of measure of success is really around the number of other arts organizations coming forward yeah i think maybe in you know we've had a little bit of a situation also where patrons from this region have sometimes been much more excited to uh, support uh, institutions outside of the region. You know There are Middle Eastern committees at many of the major museums in, in Europe and America and uh, supported by many patrons who still you know, live in this region. So to see sort of homegrown patronage support, homegrown enterprises and other kinds of museums and a proliferation of the kinds of Art, you know, artistic or creative endeavors that are out there would be incredible. I and mean, we have huge yeah. gaps in kind of publishing, arts criticism, you know, education. So the you know, the more the better. And it would be incredible to see people come forward and really have faith in what's happening here on the ground. And yeah. I guess another measure of success would really be kind of the export of thought leadership and thinking from this part of the world. So sure. I think that is definitely kind of happening, but um, you know, it still needs uh, it's still some way to kind of go. On
0: that. Cool. Sorry,
1: I know I've been waiting for questions I'm trying to keep my answers. No,
0: no, that's fantastic. <laughs> but this next section, I'm going to keep you keep you uh, honest. So we're going to do four quick questions. Um, we'll start out with what are you reading or watching right now?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's been a you know fantastic proliferation in Zoom talks, but sometimes at the end of the day, it's quite hard to kind of uh, have more screen time. Uh, you know. Present company excluded, obviously. Yeah, so I, I guess I've been doing quite a lot of listening. Um, I don't know if everybody on the chat and everyone here knows about Radio Al Alhara. I'm sure you've yeah. yeah. Which is based in Ramallah, Bethlehem and Amman. And I've been listening to that a lot. Um, you know, just being able to be home and uh, working from home a little bit, you can kind of, you know, crank up the dial and listen to things and, um, you know, a little louder than you can in the office without, yeah. uh, without ha- having to have headphones. And um, I think their mix of kind of you know, fantastic debate followed by music. There's not a lot of talk when the music is on, so the talk is separate from the music. You know, little things like that are fantastic. And the eclectic kind of sense of conversation, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, One of my friends, Zaina, I think
0: is playing for them, I think today, later today.
1: Brilliant, yes. Yeah. Well, really, and they, yeah, the people they've been getting on is really fantastic. fantastic. So highly okay. recommended. If you're on Spotify, um, Teju Cole, uh, the novelist and writer, has brilliant um, kind of playlists that he's put together. Okay. Which really, I, I found out about that through the ICA London uh, kind of newsletter that they send around, and that's been something I really recommend that. Um, okay,
0: media, I'm gonna skip ahead.
1: Yeah, sorry.
0: Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present?
1: I went for Jacinda Arden because, Ooh, you know, of all the New kind Zealand. of speakers out there at the moment, I feel like she's actually kind of managed to somehow handle this corona thing, and, You know, I yeah, and just, I mean, not to get too feminist, but for, you know, just for a moment, it does seem that there's a kind of a difference at this time between female leaders and male leaders and just, you know, or maybe it's more about ego. Those that can park the ego and look for practical solutions and have a sense of humanity seem to be winning through this moment. So I think she's a fascinating character. She has a huge amount of empathy and I, yeah.
0: That's a great choice. Um, What do people most misunderstand about your work or your line of work?
1: I think my line of work, people do, they kind of, maybe they think that the arts is for the elite or the arts is somehow kind of glamorous. And I think people tend to focus, at least the mainstream global media tends to focus on auction houses and the kind of mega galleries, which are really art for the, you know, the 1% of the 1%. And... um, you know, I I kind of, I really think that's a total misnomer and we need to open up and have everyone understand that the arts is for everyone.
0: Fantastic. (laughs) Whose work do you admire or are inspired by?
1: Well, we just, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a plug, but, um, you know, we have at the art center at the moment, uh, Michael in Dubai, Michael Rakowitz, uh, the Iraqi American artist has a two floor exhibition and I think and he was with us in early March we were able to open the exhibition before we had to close and now we're luckily reopened but he's just the most one of the most inspiring artists I've ever worked with he's done everything from set up um, you know food trucks in America which are staffed by uh, US army vets serving food from his grandmother's recipes um you know his Iraqi grandmother's recipes on plates that were looted from Saddam Hussein's palaces so if you think about you just unpick that it's you know uh, just incredible and um so he's a real kind of artist artist and he's a people's artist and he's just the most generous person out there so please have a look at our website and you can actually wherever you are you can live stream uh his project he did which can sort of um, unmashes the breakup of the Beatles with the breakup of the Arab uh, Pan-Arab project. So just as wow. one example of the kind of things he does. So he's brilliant. And I guess the other person is a perennial um, kind of inspiration who's probably very familiar to everybody is Sultan al Kasmi, who, um, yeah, we'll all know. But I think he's, you know, he's just done this the Zoom thing brilliantly. He's always connecting people. He's always kind of just this great sort of doyen of cultural connectivity. So thank you to Sultan as
0: So let's open it up to everybody. Um, We have a question from somebody named MH Sarkis. So would you mind unmuting yourself?
2: Hi, Mikey. Hi, Antonia. Thank you for that uh, talk. Very interesting. Um, Antonia, so what would you say, um, well, actually, I I feel curious to know whether you or perhaps artists that you've commissioned um, have experienced any roadblocks uh, on your path in the industry, especially in these um, conservative cities? And if so, how have you managed to navigate these obstacles? I think, yeah, I'm trying to think of
1: specific roadblocks. I mean, they're always, I guess they've always been, um, you know, kind of, you, there's, there's the very, there's the very obvious roadblocks. And then I mm-hmm. think for all of us, um, probably everybody on this chat, there are also hidden roadblocks as well that you can sometimes bump over and you already realize after you've gone over them, that they kind of, you know, broke the axis of your car, or, you know, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor here. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess the trick for all of us is never to try and, uh, you know, work in that way where we predict those roadblocks. We need to sort of somehow kind of ride them. Um, I think that the way of kind of, I'm trying to think of specific kind of examples. I mean, there have definitely been cases in different uh, exhibitions I've worked on where there's been question marks of whether we should show this work or that work, and and it's kind of, you you know, raised... Questions over that. I think um, one of them. But having said that, some of the most interesting dialogues I've ever had about art have been with um, security people and people from ministries of, of information. And mm-hmm. um, actually, I kind of—I guess—I kind of realized that those conversations are incredibly important and kind of um, nourishing. You're, you know, you're really challenged on why is this artwork saying this? What is it trying to say? Um, what does it kind of mean? And and how, is, how can it affect society? And to try and actually use that as a kind of positive experience to have those discussions and challenge yourself to be able to answer those questions. And eventually, in a lot of cases, it's actually resolved in something really kind of positive. So that's been, you know, it, I guess one of those things of trying to see silver linings, but it can, you know, things can actually be pushed forward. And just, I guess, context is everything. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the one, you know, learning from that. Um, you know, some things which can be discussed in, in one forum, uh, or in one medium are a kind of no-no in another. So it's about sort of finding those little slip roots and making sure that the context of everything is is there. Sure. So the just- Other roadblock is just funding, but that's the same for all of us.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks so much. Um, Lujain, mm-hmm. you're up next, if you want to unmute yourself.
1: Thank you for the talk. It's great. I think uh, you actually answered the question I was um, going for. It was, um, how is Art Jameel going to be more involved in the art scene? Um, but uh, maybe just another quick question is, are you planning on focusing on artists from uh, nationally or internationally? Because I know in Dubai, for example, there's a lot of interest on um, interna- international artists. So I was wondering if that is going to be the same um, when it's uh, in Jeddah. Yeah, no, well, uh, thank you, Lejane, and, and great to, to meet you and have a Jeddawi on the line. Um, I mean, in, in Jeddah we also, I should point out, that we do have our Jamil House in the Ballad as well. So we're very focused oh, also on. Very um, you know, As I was. Yes, excellent. So you know, we're we're kind of very interested in this idea that the arts sit on a kind of continu you know continuum. From artisanship all the way through to the most cutting edge of kind of contemporary art. And that these things are kind of connected and not seen in separate pockets. Um, I mean, the idea is that I guess with Art Jamil, at least our work in kind of more recent years, is to really focus on the grassroots and kind of ground-up approach uh, in gender. So supporting Saudi artists and making connections with the international scene. That's something that, you know, within the Gulf, within the Arab world, and also kind of internationally, but never to kind of leapfrog the region in order to, uh, you know, reach a more traditional kind of arts capitals, I guess. Um, you know, so we're, I guess it's a mixture of both, but we're planning a lot of uh, commissions and educational opportunities. We already run a program called High Learning, which is uh, for artists and curators doing on the ground kind of uh, training and long form and, and short form courses as well. So really trying to deliver at the grassroots.
2: Hi, Antonia, I'm very excited to to be able to ask you a question live. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I feel that the interest of the Western world, the Arab world, is a, is a two-edged sword for us Arabs. On the one hand, we, we are flattered and excited when our culture becomes a topic of conversation in Western mm-hmm. academic circles and cultural circles. But on the other hand, there is a knee, that knee-jerk reaction that, that makes it feel Orientalist in, in the political pejorative sense of the Said where where it reduces us to natives sometimes with an exotic visual culture that that to be observed and studied, but not as valid as a valid entity that is equal to the Western world. So it also plays out on an Emirati sensitivity in specific, where you know the last 20 years have been exciting, but also created an identity crisis with a lot of Emiratis, not being able to decipher which was positive cultural development and what was cultural occupation, if you want, by Western values that often erased our own. So from your extensive experience in the area and your perspective, how do you see this dichotomy playing out?
1: That's such a good question, and I mean, I'm, I, and I'm not sure I'm the the best to talk because obviously this is a, well, I mean, it's a multilateral conversation that has should have so many voices in it. I mean, I totally know where you come from. I mean, at the fair um, at Art Dubai, especially during the early years, you know, when a lot of international people were coming to the region for the first time and opting to focus their trip on on the UAE, you know, and also international media, you know, there was a tremendous focus on we used to call it the three, you know three kind of bugbears. It was always women, war and censorship. And every single question would be about that to do with the art <laughs> and so, instead of thinking, you know, what is the artist's voice? What are, what are they trying to portray? And, and really kind of, and it also ran a danger of kind of funneling artists towards those topics rather than exploring things that were important to their own communities or were being, or not to say these aren't important, but other just being able to see a sort of diversity of subject matters that were really kind of expressed um, by thinking, allowed in public with your own community rather than having to sort of um be continuously broadcasting to the world so i think that has significantly changed and it's through the efforts of artists themselves kind of thinking about how to uh you know kind of really discuss their art in a local context before brokering an international conversation. But I think what will change it is also making sure that that infrastructure exists all around the artists as well. So I already mentioned kind of critics, I think that's hugely important, educators, and that there's a kind of, you know, the, the arts is a kind of ecosystem and you need every single piece of the pie to be there to really kind of create a very robust and kind of sustainable scene and we're lacking in some areas at the moment And those areas are not necessarily given enough attention. And the other thing is which we're trying to really push quite a lot in Saudi at the moment too is kind of, you know, original writing in Arabic rather than everything necessarily being a translation from one to the other. And to develop a kind of, uh, you know, vocabulary in Arabic to talk about contemporary art so that 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 way the conversation can be owned and developed further. But I mean, I'm obviously (laughs) one voice and not the right person necessarily to...
0: Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Ria. Um, and then the last question is from Nadine.
3: Hey, Antonia. Hey, hi. Yeah, it's funny. Dean from Canvas. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> yeah, on Zoom, and we normally uh, sit just across from each other. But I'll be paying the center a visit hopefully soon this week. Um, so I found it so interesting what you were saying, because I was not here at the beginnings uh, of, of the art scene. What you mentioned—that started as a very kind of, um, you know, ad hoc, let's say, grassroots, um, you know, flourishing of collectives, um, such as Bedouin, but others as well—and now we're kind of in a in a place where probably, you know, which probably has amongst the most developed art infrastructures in the Middle East in terms of government support. And so we both know what that actually does in terms of supporting talent, but also maybe um, there seems to be less of the more self-organizing initiatives that exist elsewhere in the region uh, with longer histories such as Beirut and Cairo, Baghdad and so forth. So given that you've had a foot in both the commercial and the non-commercial sectors and you've witnessed this growth uh, firsthand and also the formalization, I would say, of the art industry, here. Um, My question is, you know, in in an economy where both the public and the private coexist, especially in terms of funding, how can we further incubate or how can institutions such as Art Jamil further incubate talent from the ground up, which I know you actually answered partly in in your answer to Lejeune, but I'm speaking less in terms of support, but more in terms of allowing for that space for these kind of collectives to develop on their own and then supporting them. You understand like we have only one Artist-run collective in the whole of the UAE that is known and that you know I've documented since their inception and that is bait Fifteen and this is you know partly I think you know in other countries of the Arab world where there's a lot of political strife, artists have had to rise up and this is you know uh, thankfully a quite stable place to live but then that's the you know that's the other side of the coin so I'm just wondering if you had some thoughts on that. Um, over time, like what you've witnessed over the past twenty years, and how you think this can maybe merge in a different way, you know?
1: No, well, thank you, and yeah, and I totally um, understand where you're you're coming from, and I think these kind of informal artists' collectives or groupings of, of um, you know, designer, I mean, it, other art forms too, designers and architects and, and writers being able to sort of set up uh, these little kind of interstitial places. If you think about, it, you know, it's like having a city. Where you have only high rises, you don't have a kind of you know an infrastructure that exists underneath. You need it, and artists need it, and the whole scene uh, only can only thrive in that kind of way if it has that kind of diversity and that kind of informality that allows these things to spring up. I mean, partly, um, I guess it's to do with uh, you know once you get a kind of legislation that's there to support the arts, it's a double-edged sword because it's also there to control. You know, so yeah. it, there's less kind of ability for these little sort of informal spaces to to kind of come up. I think a lot has to do with um, educational uh, establishments. So if you think of the influence of Ashkel Alwan in uh, Beirut, for example, I mean, every year, um, you know, and, and hopefully this year too, you know, there are graduates coming out of that school, and many of them, even if they're from other places, they stay in Beirut, they begin to set up things together. So in, an educational, an art school, even if it's an informal one, uh, like Ashkelon, can just have this absolute transformative effect on a city. And here, I mean, NYU Abu Dhabi has made a massive difference. You know, the rise of higher education in the Gulf has gone hand in hand with the art scenes, and that is a very particular and fascinating kind of history. But it hasn't necessarily translated from an art school format into kind of developing these, um, you know, in-between collectives that are really the glue that holds the whole scene together. But I see it changing. And I think it's also for us to kind of think through what what is a collective? Is it two people who decide to sort of do something together off, the, off their own, but is it a one-off event? It can be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal kind of collective. So it's recognizing those uh, young people doing that and really supporting them.
0: Antonia, thank you so, so, so much for joining. Um, this was a pleasure to have you on uh, at Africa. We re- really respect and admire the work that you're doing. So it's a thrill to have you on
1: well ditto absolutely and yeah. same back, back to you and and thank you to everybody for joining as we said we know we have a lot of um zooms and screen time so it's extra appreciated during these these times
0: absolutely thanks everybody hope you stay safe wherever you are and Antonia thank you so much again
1: thank you thanks everybody really enjoyed it
0: thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed today's episode we have new episodes coming every single week. Make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find us at afikra.com for information about all upcoming events. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. See you next time and stay curious.